You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Hey, how are you? I hope you're having a great week. This week has been so busy for me. I'm working on a couple really fun projects. Specifically, it's not quite ready to go live yet, but I'm working on a group coaching program. It's going to be almost like a, a gym membership for your finances where we get to hang out live and you get to be in a group setting and just ask your questions and get support. So I'm stoked about this. It should be so much fun when it's officially ready to talk about like more detail. I will give you guys first dibs on getting your space. It's going to be very budget friendly. Of course, I mean, being a money nerd, we have to make sure we're watching our pennies, but it will be so worth it. And I cannot wait for you to see all of the program in the group coaching. Okay, I also cannot wait for you to hear today's episode. Today we're talking about investing, but more specifically, why investing is like sex. At least that's what today's guest believes. And by the end of this episode, I think you're going to agree with her. Investing is a heck of a lot like sex when we actually break it down. Before we dive into that, I have to share a really fun money win from you. This is one of my private coaching clients. She has now graduated from coaching and is kicking butt on her own. So I'm super proud of her. But this one is from Valeria. She says, this post is long overdue. Whitney Hansen's one-on-one coaching has been one of the best investments I've ever made. She gave me the tools and confidence to take control of my financial life. I was able to pay off my credit card debt, boosted my savings, and I'm now working towards saving for my first home, an emergency fund, and my future vacation to Cancun. It feels great to be able to cash flow vacation for the first time. Thank you, Whitney. Hashtag money win. I am so proud of you. Like seriously, you are such a rock star. You were the best coaching client because you took everything that we talked about and you immediately took action on it. And that is what will make you successful. So I'm super proud of you and I cannot wait for you to take your vacation and for me to hear all about it too, so I can live vicariously through you. All right. Are you guys ready to talk about today's guest? Amanda Holden is the founder of Dumpster Dog Blog and Invested Development, where she educates people on investing with comedy, and she brings a lot of lightheartedness to a very serious topics. I really enjoyed this episode. Here's what you're going to learn. We talk about her passion for helping individuals that have been left out of the investing conversations historically, why she integrates humor into her business. We talk about things that should be investing basics, but maybe aren't the truth about making quick money through investing. Amanda shares her opinion on paying off debt or investing first. This is like an age old question of which one should you do? We talk about thoughts on investing in a down economy and why you should actually consider that. And especially why investing is like sex. You guys are going to love this episode. Make sure you give Amanda some love on her blog. It's dumpsterdogblog.com and check out her invested development course. If you like her style of educating and you think it's it's good and educational and fun for you, then definitely check out her course. I am such a big fan of all of the work she's doing. I think she's hilarious. But more importantly, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you do, take a screenshot and let me know that you're listening in. You can tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. I would love to see who's tuning in, connect with you and just say hi means the world to me. And I will see you guys on Instagram. Okay. Let's dive into today's episode. What's up guys. Welcome back to another episode today. I'm joined by one of my friends, Amanda Holden, who is a total rock star. She's got a hilarious blog, dumpsterdogblog.com and a lot of speaking. Amanda, how did you get to where you are today? 
Oh, okay. Where, where to even begin? Hi, well, hi, first of all, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And hello, fellow money nerds out there. Um, my, my background is actually in investment management. And so that's where I started. And specifically, I was working as an investment counselor. And so I was working with high net worth individuals. And I was really, I was on the front lines with these people. And so I was their face person. I was, I was the mouthpiece. And so I was essentially conveying to them portfolio strategy or answering questions about the market and getting to know their personal financial situations. And so, I mean, really what I was doing, if I'm being honest, was doing a lot of handholding of old rich white guys no, for real. all day. And so that wasn't going to be it for me. And so I ended up saving up all my money, being super scrappy. That's where I acquired the name, the nickname Dumpster Dog. Um, and then saving up all my money and quitting my job. And, and I left to go travel and thought I was going to leave the the universe of money altogether. I, I was... Mm. I was like, I don't like actually talking about money all day, if you can believe it, um, but decided that maybe it was because I wasn't really doing it on my own terms and I wasn't helping the people that I wanted to help. And so I started my business, which is called Invested Development, where I do seminars and workshops and have an online course, um, getting this information to demographics that I care about, such as young women or just really anybody who's felt left out of these conversations about investing in wealth building, because so often these conversations are reserved for people that are already wealthy, mm -hmm. which know. makes no sense. That's super frustrating too. And I love that you, you bring so much of a lighthearted, approachable feel to this whole conversation. Did you do that when you were in the investment area too, working, you know, with the handholding of old rich white guys? Were you also doing it kind of a fun, lighthearted approach at that time as well? Yeah, as as much as I could for, I mean, probably for my own sanity as, as much as for their, their <laughs> benefit. But, you know, interestingly, the reason that I got the tap on the shoulder to come up into this department where, I mean, I was really young. I think I was either 24 or 25 when I started this role. And when I moved into the department, I was amongst the youngest and I was one of very few women, um, maybe like one out of every 20 women or one, 20 people were women in this department. And the reason that they, they asked me to come do the job was they said, Hey, we noticed that you've been hanging out and talking shit to all your colleagues all day. Why don't you come talk shit to some of our clients? And I was like, so all right. <laughs> You're like, deal. Sign me up. Yeah. All right. I can do that. And so, so that's really why I got th kind of thrust into this role, which ended up being not for me. Yeah. It, it wasn't the right job for me, but it was great in that I learned a ton. And this is information that I'm now able to take back and deliver it to people that I would consider my friends. Mm. Amanda, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And so Portland, Oregon is where I grew up. But then I actually spent the majority of my adult life in California. So I went to college in LA and then was working in investment management in San Francisco. What'd you study in school? So I studied um, economics and mass communications and, and writing. And so essentially, like I'm actually using my two degrees. That's and awesome. so I know very few people actually do that, which is which is interesting. But but uh, yeah, I mean, when I started working at the investment management firm out of school, I, I ended up there not because I necessarily thought like finance was my path forward. It was is far from my passion. I definitely consider myself more of a creative than than like a, a finance oriented person. But like just so just like so many college graduates, mm -hmm. I needed some money. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You're like, what am I going to do to pay my bills? Right. No, and I hear so, that. So with your with your background, you grew up in Portland. That's where you were raised as a kid. How was money talked about when you were a kid? So that's an interesting question. So I come from a really lucky background where um, money was okay. Money was fine. I, I have a dad and he has a great job. He's actually a mathematician himself. He's, oh, cool. he's, he's an actuary. Probably only money nerds know what an actuary is. But basically, these are the person people that are calculating um, – the probability that people are going to live a certain amount of time for pension plans. Yeah. And so they're calculating life expectancies and trying to figure out the math of these giant pension plans. And so 
he he was already always very good at math and always encouraging of of me to develop my mathematical talents although like i always kind of liked the more uh humanities language arts types of classes anyways um but that said we didn't actually talk about money that much. Like we weren't taught. I didn't learn what a 401k was from my mathematician father. I learned what a 401k was not from my economics degree from UCLA. I learned what a 401k was working in the finance industry. Hmm. That's a problem. Don't you think? It's a big problem. And so that's part of what I'm trying to do is get this education about these topics to people at a younger age. So they're not all of a sudden, you know, 40, 50, 60 and scratching their head and and, and wondering what they're supposed to be doing with their money. Right. I, I love that you're doing this, too. And I have a very specific question about reaching younger people. How do you do that effectively? I think that's the big million dollar question a lot of people are struggling with. Well, so what I always try to do is integrate humor and make it super lighthearted. Like the way that I think about it is while my mission is very serious and urgent, my methodology is very lighthearted and fun as hell. (laughs) And so, and so I think that that has really helped me be successful. I think that because I specifically work with women, um, another reason that I've had some success is by creating safe and fun environments for women to go where they know that they're not going to be shamed about the way that they use their money. I think that that is a huge problem as well, is that even if you were to go to a personal financial advisor, if you were go to, to go to somebody for advice and that person was a man, I mean, the reality is we all, even women do so much femme shaming and shaming of the way that women spend money because it's all programmed into our brains that, that spending money on feminine things is inferior to spending money on masculine things. And so I think that that also causes women to, you know, want to hole up and not deal with their money because they don't want to be, be made to felt feel bad about the way that they're spending. And, and even though I'm not really talking about spending, I'm talking about investing, I'm talking about building. There's still that element there. You don't want to be told how to build wealth from somebody that doesn't sit on the same side of the table as you. Oh, it's so important too. I love that you brought that up because I think so many times we see the same types of voices, the same people, and we need a lot of different perspectives so that we can have that relatability and the humor too. I love the humor piece. So one of the things that I thought was so damn funny about you is you have, well, your your business is called Invested Development for one thing. That's amazing. And your humor with this stuff is like, it's very comical, but it's memorable. And so I remember we were sitting at a, a Fidelity Women and Money dinner and you were raising your hand and talking about how investing is like sex. And I'm not joking, girlfriend. I was like, this is hilarious. (laughs) Like what? And so I think it's really cool. So let's talk a little bit about how do you view investing? And then how the heck is it like sex? Oh, sure. That's so funny. Yeah, that dinner was funny. And I think that the, the question was, or the genesis of that, that conversation was the women of Fidelity asking us, how do we reach more women? (laughs) And, and we were all going around the table and I said, you know what? I, I agree that women do face roadblocks, but I don't want us to overthink this. I also believe that women are investing just because, because no one has ever taught them how to invest and they haven't been spoken to about this, this topic in a way that actually resonates with them. And so somebody was like, okay, well, give me an example. And I said, well, like a lot of what I do in my seminars is I compare investing to dating or I compare investing to six or to sex. And so one such example would be like, okay, like how is dating like sex? Well, let's talk about the idea of diversification, which diversification is essentially buying lots of different asset types just to make sure that you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket. I would compare this to playing the field. So (laughs) let's say you're playing the field and you're dating you might be dating a couple of people at once because they bring different things to the table. And so I like to compare dating to specifically stocks and bonds, which understanding the trade-off between stocks and bonds and investing is one of the primary trade-offs that people need to understand. And so let's look at an example of this. And so um, I'm going to use men as an example because I date men, uh, unfortunately. (laughs) Just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. You can take, you can scrub that. We're <laughs> leaving it. That's good stuff. <laughs> if you need to. So, so, but any, anyways, apologies for the heteronormative trope, but so I date men. And so let's, 
look at men as an example. So for example, I'm dating guy number one. Let's say that he's a little bit more like Bonds. Bonds is like Steve. Steve is a nice guy. He's an accountant. He is going to be there when you get home on a Sunday night to watch some Netflix programming, but you're not exactly going to be leaving footprints on the wall every night, right? He, he <laughs> Steve. Exactly. So that's Steve. Like, right, you're not going to be like sailing around the Mediterranean and taking ecstasy in Ibiza on your anniversary with Steve. That's he's steady. He's reliable. He's really he's low risk, but he's kind of low reward. So he's like bonds. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have stocks. I like to compare stocks to our second guy. And this guy also happens to be named Guy. Guy is the lead singer of an up-and-coming band. Now, this band could turn out to be the next Smash Mouth, but it could also turn out to be the next Rolling Stones. You might have to hawk some t-shirts out of the side of his airbrushed tour van, but you could also be riding an albino tiger around your Miami Beach courtyard while lighting your Newport Slims with a $100 <laughs> Stop it, living your best life. <laughs> it's an exaggerated example, but stocks would be a lot more like Guy, where it is higher risk, but higher reward, right? There is much more risk, but there is much more upside. And so the idea behind diversification, again, is like playing the field where it's like, you don't have to make a decision. You don't have to marry one or the other. You could do a little bit of Steve when Steve sounds right. You could do a little bit of Guy when Guy sounds right. Mm -hmm. And so that's the idea, right? Like comparing dating and sex to investing in that way, I think just helps open up a new way of thinking about investing. Totally. Well, I think the funny thing is there's a lot of research that shows when you're laughing while you learn, you remember that retention is going to be there. And so, yeah, it's like an exaggerated example. I love the tiger part. That's freaking hilarious. <laughs> but they're not going to forget, right? Anytime you start to think about it, you're like stocks. Oh, that's like guy, high risk, high return. Okay, cool. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the important piece. So when it came to investing for, you mentioned diversification and you talked about learning about what, what a 401k is. What are some of the, like the, the basics of investing that everybody should know that we usually don't? Sure. Well, one of the things that I heard say wrong the most is, let's start here. I'll hear people say, oh, my 401k is an investment. Yes. And that's, that's not quite right. A 401k is an account that holds investments. And for most of us, those investments will be mutual funds. And so I like to start by separating those two. Like, so for step number one, let's figure out where the money is being held, what type of account the money is being held in. That's your 401k. That's your Roth IRA. That could be a brokerage account. That could be a traditional IRA and so on. And so what I want to always make clear to people is that these are just accounts. I like to compare them to like adult caboodles. It is just something that holds something else. And in this case, that caboodles is going to be holding an investment, your investments, right? And so that's piece one, making a decision about where the money should be going. And a lot of people get tripped up on this decision about should I be using Roth? Should I be using 401k? And usually for the most part, it doesn't matter, yeah. right? Just use whatever you have in front of you. Um, if you've got more questions of, about which type of account you should be using, come follow me. I talk about it all of the time. Um, but really it has, it boils down to, to what makes the most sense for your tax situation. If the reason that all of these accounts exist is because they have some sort of special taxation. A 401k has a slightly different taxation than a Roth IRA. But the good news is, all of them are good. They're mm -hmm. all good. They all offer some sort of tax benefit. That's why they exist. And so the good news is if you just get started, you're probably going to land in a place that's just fine. And so that's step one, right? Just choosing the account and getting money into the account. And then step two is actually learning about the mechanics of investing, learning what is a mutual fund, right? Learning what is a stock, what is a bond and, and learning about, about the investments you will actually buy within that account. I think that's the tricky part because it feels like there's a lot of a lot of money on the the line. I mean, it, it's intimidating when you're putting even five thousand dollars into something or even five hundred dollars. It's scary when you don't understand the mechanics. So how do we how do we break that down in a way that's like easy to understand? So like, let's start the mutual fund. Like, what the crap is a mutual fund, anyways? 
Sure. So I like to compare a mutual fund to a suitcase. It is a suitcase, or you can think of it as a basket that holds some other investment type. So for the most part, your mutual fund is going to be a big old basket of stocks or a big old basket of bonds. And so what to, to me, what is the most important thing is that you understand what the underlying investment is. You need to know what is a stock and what is a bond. And I actually have another comparison that we can make here with mutual funds and the in the importance of knowing what is being held within the mutual fund yeah. because the mutual again the mutual fund is just the packaging so you can, can again think of it as a suitcase so like let's say that there is a suitcase and it is packed full of stocks and then you've got another suitcase that is packed full of bonds right mm -hmm. the suitcase is certainly important right it's the thing that holds all of your stuff together but these two people are about to have two very different trips, two very different journeys. Like even not thinking about stocks and bonds specifically, you can think of like just two people that packed two very different suitcases. So like, let's say person number one in their suitcase, they've packed, I don't know, like whips and chains, like a wizard's mm -hmm. cape, um, an eyes wide shut mask, who, whatever, right? They, they've packed a whole bunch of cool, weird shit in their suitcase, right? Mm -hmm. So that's person number one. Now, person number two in their suitcase, they've packed a cable knit sweater, maybe some earplugs, like a nice long read they picked up at the airport. So that's person two, <laughs> right? Clearly, these people, they each have a suitcase. They each, you know, have that mutual fund, but they are about to have very different journeys, right? Yes. What is packed inside the mutual fund is going to flavor the experience of the journey over time. So just like with mutual funds, whether you have stocks packed inside that mutual fund or bonds packed inside that mutual fund is really what's going to dictate the risk and reward and the flavor of that investment journey you're about to have. Mm. I love this. And I think the cool thing, too, is those suitcases each have different price tags. And so we can take it even a step further and say, they totally do. Do you have the away suitcase or do you have a thrift store suitcase? That's so I'm going to I'm going to steal that Whitney. <laughs> do it, do it. Yeah, as you're saying this, I'm like, yeah, that's right. What kind of suitcase do I have? But how do you OK, so when you understand what's in it, I think that's really important. What's the like, how do you start to understand like the fees associated with that too? How do you break that down to people that don't quite understand this? Sure. And I will just make one more plug really quick because I think that we love to gloss over the, the, the piece about like, okay, so then what is a stock and how does the stock market work and what is the bond and how does the bond market work? We love to gloss over that. But I think that if you, if you were to walk away from this podcast, knowing that you need to do one thing to better your investment life, it is learn what a stock is and how the stock market works and learn what a bond is. And people don't want to do that work, but you really cannot be a successful investor if you don't understand what those two things are. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so, so yes, I, now let's get to fees, but I just wanted to, to plug that one more time real quick. Um, so with fees, fees in the, in the world of investment management come in many, many different forms. The most common that we see on a mutual fund specifically is called an expense ratio. And so you can think of an expense ratio as a management fee. Right. So it's like an annual fee that's going to be taking taken as a percentage of the amount of money that is invested in the fund that you have invested in that fund. Right. And so a quick little history lesson for you, like back in the day, let's say, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, all mutual funds were actively managed, meaning there was some guy who you would never meet, you would never talk to, behind the scenes making a decision about what stocks or bonds or investments, whatever, should be coming in and out of the fund. Mm. And there's really only one reason for active management, and that's to try to do better than the market. We call it beat the market. So like beat the average of the market over time. Yeah. And so th this is the first type of fund. This is called an actively managed fund. And that means, again, there's going to be an active manager. They're making decisions about what to buy and sell. And it does generally mean that you're going to be paying a higher expense ratio. Now, you compare that to a passively managed fund, which we call an index fund, which takes a different approach. An index fund, which was created in the 70s by John Bogle, who created Vanguard and the first index fund, said, you know what, I think that maybe active management is not that successful. Like, I'm going to go out here and say it, that 
active management has probably been one of the biggest scams in the history of financial services. Literally, he did too. <laughs> yeah. And so he created a fund that is instead of trying to beat the market, just invest in the market. So you are invested in the whole market or a representative sample of the market in order to return the market average over time. And so it's mimicking an index that measures the market like the S&P 500 index. Mm. So therefore, you have a passive strategy. You're just along for the stock market ride. You're just there to achieve the stock market average. And because there's no active manager, you are paying a much lower expense ratio. And, and so... These days, fast forward to these days, most personal financial experts prefer the latter. They prefer to invest in index funds because we know now that the stock market is only going to give us what it's going to give us. We cannot make the stock market do something different than it's going to do. And so the best thing we can do for our, our own returns moving forward is not to give any of those returns away because that that little cut of or that little half a percent or percent that you're paying to some active manager that is coming directly out of your pocket. And, and I know that I'm talking a lot. And so I'm going to wrap up with this point on this particular topic. But when we think of expense ratios or management fees, we often hear them quoted as like, let's say like 1% or yeah. even a half a percent, which like in the world of retail or the world of shopping, that's nothing. Like, can you imagine if you went to a happy hour and they were like, oh, beers are 1% off. Oh, you'd be yeah, like, thanks. Yeah. You'd be like, uh, like, fuck you very much. I'll just pay full price. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah. Like that's insulting act as a discount. And so 1% to us in like the world of shopping is nothing, but in the world of of investing, it is so, so much because like, let's say that moving forward, the stock market annualizes or average, the average return is let's say 6% moving forward. Okay. And then you're giving 1% of that away to a money manager. That means you now have 5% right? And so you're not giving them one piece of a 100 piece pie. You are giving them one piece of a six piece pie. Oh, that's so huge. Yeah. That is it's so massive. Yeah. And so that's, and, and that's one of the reasons that, I mean, in, in addition to actively managed strategies, just not working that well over, over at least the last, let's say three or four decades right. as compared to index funds. That's another reason that personal financial experts want to minimize their fees because they know how impactful fees can be, right? Like we know that returns compound over time, but fees also compound over time. So what's your personal strategy then? Are you more mutual funds? Are you more index funds? Or how do you how do you approach yours? Well, so an index fund is a mutual fund. So let's let's clear that up. So an index fund, index is a style of management. So like index versus actively managed. And so you could buy an index fund in mutual fund form, or you can buy an index fund in ETF form. Those are just the two different ways that funds can be built. And so I choose index management for my own portfolio. And I use like a combination of mutual funds and ETFs, like whatever is available and cheapest for me at the different banks that I happen to be using. I I do buy into the stock into like individual stocks a little bit, but it's it's a pretty minor piece of my overall portfolio. I generally only do that when I think something's going to get really big and it's completely undervalued and it's going to blow up and, and I'm excited about it, but I would not say that that's the, the majority of my portfolio. Yeah, by for sure. Were, were, so did you get into the, like the Bitcoin stuff too, personally? Nope. See, I, didn't I get either. it. I never, that's not my personal strategy, but I was curious if you had any thoughts on that. I have so many thoughts on it. I'm actually kind of excited that some of the fervor has died down around Bitcoin because there was like a minute there when literally every single person was coming to be me asking, like, what about Bitcoin? And I'm like, do you have a Roth IRA? Let's start there. <laughs> Let's start with the basics, man. <laughs> right. Well, and and what makes me sad about something like Bitcoin is so often the people that come to me with those questions are the people that are most desperate for something like Bitcoin to work out, right? Somebody who's waited until they're too old 
to really save for retirement or which you're never too old to save for retirement, but like traditional retirement age, right? It, like if you're, if you've waited until you're 60 or, or 70 to, to look at this stuff and you're looking for some sort of quick fix, it's just not going to work out, right? Like you had to be there on the ground floor as is the case with so many of these things. And, and while I certainly think that there is going to be money made in cryptocurrency or maybe even more so with the application of blockchain as as we see that evolve over the next decade or so, there is going to be money made. And I'm definitely not doubting that, but it is going to be highly risky. So like we were talking about before, like, are you in a position financially where you can be taking exorbitant amounts of risk? Most people I know aren't in such a position because they don't even have like a basic foundation of like having maxed out retirement accounts, having an emergency fund funded, right? Like if you've got those things, that's maybe when you can start to think about taking a little bit more risk with your money and having like a little bit more fun. But, but really what is most important for, for young people, young women, people that are just getting started is to build a foundation with the stuff that we at least like know a little bit more about no than, than Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's to me, it's like playing the lottery. You you don't know if it's going to work out. It could, but it could not. And you might lose a lot of money. And I don't know. For me personally, that's never been my strategy either. I know people can make it work. I just haven't seen very many. So I, I personally just am not a fan either. Um, okay. I, I have a question because I know so many people get really hung up on especially millennials, do I invest or do I stop and pay off my debt? We get so much mixed advice. What is your two cents on that? I feel like it's it's pretty case by case. And I always I always want to stop and actually dig into what somebody is feeling about both. And let me loop back to that idea. But from like a very mathematical perspective, like what you're supposed to do is compare interest rates. So what's the interest rate that you're paying on your debt versus what could you potentially make in the market or what could you potentially make investing? And let's say that investing, you could reasonably expect to make like a six or 7% return again annualized. This will not happen every single year. This is an average. And so people do need to understand that. Um, so, so, so that's important to understand, but so compare that to then what you you're paying on your debt. Now, if it's something like credit card debt, it's a no brainer, right? Like you are bleeding out so much money and interest on your credit card, which is probably charging you between a 15 and a 30% APR, APR. And so there's no way that you could ever invest. Like, right. I like to say that there is no investing combination in the world that will make up with what you are bleeding out in, in interest on your credit card payments. Like whether, whether that combination is stocks, bonds, that Cabo timeshare, that thimble collection, <laughs> your toast, it looks like Jesus, your antique beanie babies. There's no combination of investments in the world that will outpace what you're paying in credit card debt. And so credit cards are a pretty no brainer, but obviously a lot of debt doesn't have a 30% interest rate. And so let's go to something like, like a student loan where you're paying a six or 7% rate on your student loan. And so then it's kind of a toss up mathematically. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I would just ask the person, I would say, I mean, you tell me how you're feeling. Like, are you feeling like, damn, this debt weighs on me and I hate it and I want to get rid of it? Because if that's you, then hell yeah, work on your debt. Now, if you are somebody that says, you know what, like, I don't, I don't want to put my whole life and I don't want to put wealth building on hold just because I have this damn loan to the U.S. government, then hell yeah, start investing. I right? Like that, it's so individualized too. I like that you mentioned that. Yeah, well, and I and I think that it's it's important because it's not only individual, right? Like we have to take into consideration how we are feeling about our money and and where it makes logical sense to us because that is important. So number one, there's that, and number two, we also just cannot predict the future of returns in the market, and so we're all kind of making a guess, anyways. And so there's literally no way that I could come up here and be like, you absolutely need to be investing mm -hmm. as opposed to paying off your debt. That would be so dumb, right? Like I don't, I, maybe the next ten years in the stock market are incredibly shitty, which is actually possible consider, <laughs> considering that the last 10 years have been really, really good, really, really actually record breaking. And so 
you know, sometimes after periods that are bountiful, we get periods that are slightly less so. And that's not a reason to not invest. We can't time the market. We just have to be invested throughout. But that said, I do think we have to take into consideration that like if your debt makes you feel like shit and you'd rather focus on getting rid of it, that's fine because we can't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years anyways. Mm -hmm. I like that. So you said even when the market's down, you would still continue investing. Tell me why. So there's this old adage and it goes, it's time in the market, not timing the market. That's important. You see, we've got these very beautiful cave people brains that kept us alive for many, many years um, in the wild, fending off mountain lions and whatnot. <laughs> but we, we did develop these fight or flight mechanisms. So like we are hardwired and chemically driven to do something in the face of danger, which is actually great for keeping us alive on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's actually very opposite of the way that we need to be reacting with the stock market. Because what you'll often see is like the stock market crashes. Why does the stock market crash? Stock market is crashing because we are causing it to crash. Stock market crashes are caused by people yes. bail bailing out of their stocks. We like the call is coming from inside the building, folks. No doubt. And, and so it's important to remember that, first of all. But the point here is this is usually happening because of a panic and then the panic feeds on itself. And so what we don't want to do is be buying into the market when everybody around us is panicked. But that's actually the best time to buy into the market, right? Buy that shit when that's it's right. on sale. Um, there's another investing adage for you, and this is a, an old Warren Buffettism. It's be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. But this is a very difficult thing to do with our cave people brains, right? Because we are, we want to protect ourselves in the face of danger. We want to take action in the face of danger. When in reality with markets, often the best action is inaction. And so the best thing that we can do for ourselves is just say, hey, let's just stay committed for the long term. Let's be completely nonplussed by whatever is happening in the market, up, down, whatever. And maybe if I can each reach an even higher like level of sophistication with the market is to view downturns as a positive for investing. Now, what I'm not wishing for is a downturn. Like I, I, sure. I, I'm not in the business of wishing for a downturn and risking people's livelihoods. But if you do have some level of stability during downturns, it's actually a very good time to invest, right? You're buying your stocks while they are on sale. But for most of us, we don't need to bother with any of this. What we just need to do is know that yes, there will be downturns. They are a normal, natural, and inevitable and actually even healthy yeah. part of stock market cycles, they are going to happen. We cannot predict when, but really the stock market is up a lot more than it is down. And so if we just invest for the maximum amount of time, then we can ensure we take advantage of all of those upswings. Uh, Long-term game. It's always the long -term part game. though. It's the, the marathons are the hard part because you, you, you kind of get bored sometimes too. And then you see this and you get fearful and it is, it's very scary, but I love that. When you're talking about investing, do you view it from, I'm investing for retirement purposes or are you investing just for the heck of it? I don't know. You want a house down payment fund or whatever the heck it might be. How do you view that for yourself? So it, how you invest money is always going to be determined by your goals for that particular bucket of money. And so Anytime you're like, what should I, I get a lot, I get a people, a lot of people that come to me and they say like, okay, how should I invest? And I'm like, well, what are we investing for? Right. Because what I need you to do first and foremost is look at your pool of money and you have to ask this pool of money. What is my goal with this money? And when do I need this money? What's my goal? When do I need it? And then how much risk do I feel comfortable taking with this money? Because that will ultimately dictate what the investment mix is. Okay. So that said, it is my opinion that after having, you know, paid off consumer debt and built up an emergency fund, that the next big goal that almost everybody should be taking very seriously is retirement. Because retirement is going to be the single biggest expense in most of our lifetimes, even bigger than a house and even the very expensive cities that so many of us live in, not you, but no, so I'm good many. over here. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, so then like for you, retirement will absolutely be a bigger expense than buying a home because, because I think that people aren't even conceptualizing and, 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 
and I don't blame them. It's retirement is so far away. And it's so nebulous. And it's so nebulous. And it's like such a weird thing to even for our, our brains to conceptualize, but, um, you're living for 20 or 30 years with, with no income and think about how much money you spend in one year. (laughs) And then, I know. And then think about how much money you spend in 30 years. And let's also be honest, these are not exactly cheap or easy years of our lives. And so retirement, in my opinion, should be a goal that we try to bake in our every single year that it's possible. It's not always possible right when you graduate school to like jump on the retirement train. But I do like to say that just to like put it in in front of people that it is so important because it is so big that it does take saving for as many years as you possibly can. And so often when I'm educating and then also building a portfolio for myself, it's thinking about the long term, right? Building out a retirement. Because the way I think about it is phase one, you actually have to start from the very end of life and then like build forward. So like phase one to me is get a retirement nest egg set up so that it takes care of my years post-traditional work age, like post 65. And then, and then from there, I can start to think about moving that marker, that age 65 marker even closer via financial freedom. And so investing for that shorter term. Now that said, I still am saving money on the side, not to necessarily buy a, a down payment, but for me, it would be a rental property that I could generate some income from. And so that's something I'm doing on the side and I don't invest that money. I keep that money in cash. Gotcha. Okay. I wondered about that. Yeah. I always hear mixed reviews on that stuff too. So you're, you're currently saving for an investment property. Where are you thinking of buying? Oh, probably some somewhere I've never been and don't even know about yet. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's always how it goes. Because yeah, you're in New yeah. York right now. Yeah, I just moved to New York. And so it, it would not make well, it, who knows? Know, right? I, <laughs> I guess you never know if with the with the right opportunity, but um, I do believe that I'll probably I probably have like at least another hundred or two hundred hours of research ahead of me, um, comparing you know rent to own price ratios, looking at neighborhood. I mean, there's so much that you can look at. And to be honest, that is not necessarily my area of expertise. This would be my first rental property, but it is something that I'm saving up for on the side because I'm pretty heavily invested in the stock market. And so I'm looking to diversify slash play that investment field and search for opportunities to make money and passive income outside of of the market. You're bringing bringing Glenn into the situation now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's Glenn. Your next, Glenn, the real estate investor. Like, That's kind of a lame name though, right? Like well, Glenn for real of, estate. I, I don't know, but it's kind of perfect though, because like I, the way I see it, Glenn is kind of like, he says he's like super laid back and cool, but he's actually kind of a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's Glenn with two ends. <laughs> and he corrects everybody. Oh, Whitney, that's perfect. It's he's, like, yeah, he's one of those. Glenn. Oh, you're back again with another request. Okay. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> that's that's super exciting though. I'm excited to see what property you end up with. Are you are you gonna pay like all cash for this or what what's your intention behind that? No, no, that's probably wouldn't be my goal. And and again, I'm yeah. no expert, so I'm not making any recommendations. But like, I would be trying to earn a rate of return using the bank's money. Yes, exactly. Not at all. <laughs> yep. Come to Idaho, my friend. You'll find some properties here. Not in Boise yeah. right now, but. And you're in Boise, right? Yep. Yeah. Boise, the market here is interesting. It The prices are high, not high compared to what you guys are used to in New York or some of the larger cities, but it is high for the income here. So it's kind of a weird mess. Yeah, I've actually heard that. I have a, a very dear friend to me that just moved, and I will be in Boise next year for her wedding. Oh. Um, so, so I'll have to hang out. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I've I've heard that as well, and it's probably not helping that you're getting a lot of uh, West Coasters who are looking for a non-West Coast <laughs> option to relocate. That's not on the East Coast. <laughs> that is a big point of contention here. It's ridiculous, but it really yeah. is. Yeah, and and Port- Portland went through through that and has been going through that for the last you know mm-hmm. two, twenty years or so, where everybody was so mad when California started re- relocating in Portland to so to find gross. cheaper prices, and it just pushed everything up to yep. to West Coast prices. It did, it did. Portland's a great area too, though. But man, we're hoping <laughs> that we level out a little bit here in Boise. But regardless, thank you so much for your time. I know we have to officially start wrapping up, unfortunately. Otherwise, we could talk about Glenn and Steve and Guy all day. But, <laughs> all day. 
but tell us a little bit about your Instagram. I personally love it, but how do people connect with you on Insta? Oh, well, thank you so much. So I am at dumpster.doggy on Instagram. And so I'm always trying to give away free investment education on my Instagram, definitely in the stories. And so in addition to that, you can just see me engaging in some ratchetry, wearing my hashtag trash and thrifty outfits and just being me. I love it. You're quite comical. I love your Instagram too. I always learn something. And I think that's the cool piece is when you can learn while being entertained, it's the best way to go. So I appreciate your time. But but before we officially wrap up, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Oh boy, sure. Let's do it. Okay. My first question for you, what is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Class pass. Oh, really? You're liking it, huh? Yeah. You know what? I'm a workout person now. I really never thought I would be, but it turns out when you hit age 34, like actually getting up out of your chair once a day, it helps. <laughs> it's kind of helpful. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand that. Once I hit 30, I'm like, oh damn, this stuff does matter. <laughs> oh, I know all this doofy self-care stuff turns out. <laughs> <laughs> they were right for years. That's okay. All right. And besides a space heater, that's for another, maybe I'll send you that for Christmas. I would love that. I would love a space heater. I'm all wrapped up. For the listeners that can't see me now, I am wrapped up after our first freezing night in New York City. This West Coast baby is unprepared. <laughs> you got your Snuggie out, your hot chocolate. Oh, man, I'm under, un unprepared. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my next question for you. I'm personally obsessed with people's morning routines. I just find them to be so interesting. So what is your current morning routine? Um, okay, let's see. My alarm goes off. I scroll through I scroll through Instagram for a little bit. <laughs> um so it kind of depends. I have a writing job that requires that I get up early on some days, but I do not get up early on all days. And so it really depends on the day of the week. I have a little bit of a hectic morning routine and that it's like not super stable. And I'm kind of just learning to be a little bit easier on myself about that because like Obviously, every like Newsweek article you read is like, oh, like you're you're one 5 a.m. morning routine and lemon water away from entrepreneurial breakthrough. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's it. just it's just never going to be me. I'm like such a night owl. And so I just like get up when I can. And sometimes it's with an alarm. Sometimes it's not. And then I like to work out in the morning and start my day that way. And, and that's pretty much it. That's what I do. Sometimes I read, sometimes I read the news. Sometimes I scroll Instagram. I love it. Okay. That's your morning routine. So tell us where's one location you're dying to travel to. Japan is pretty high on my list. <gasps> what part? Well, I'd love to do it all, but even if I just got to Tokyo, I would be really happy. Oh, I'm going there in over Thanksgiving. And you're not taking me? I know. I uh, Did you not get my invite? Amanda, I sent it. Uh, <laughs> Must have been to your Portland address. I think that's what happened. <laughs> but if you pack me in your suitcase, just think of the flavor of your journey. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I think it would be quite entertaining. We'd have a really good time. It would be. Well, I'm so happy that you're going. Please report back. Are, you know, what are you doing in Japan? I don't even know. It, I don't know. All the things. Eating lots of food and just taking in the culture. I think it's a really cool place. Yeah. Be prepared to be stimulated as hell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I kind of am. I'm like gearing up for that. <laughs> okay. So my last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Truly believing that it is within your capacity. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. And it is. It is at, I, a word of encouragement for all of you out there who maybe even just listen to this and we're like, well, okay, my head is still spinning with the investing terminology. It's, it takes a couple of times for the information to seep in, but the universe is not endless. There is a set amount of information that if you learn it, you are going to be set and it is limited. It's, it's not, it's not endless. And so I just like people to know that investing and learning to be good with your money, it, it is within your capacity. Sometimes you just need the right messenger. You need the right teacher. You need the right book. And I encourage you to, to go out and find that. I love that. Amanda, thank you so much for your time. I know everyone can connect with you on dumpsterdogblog.com and on your Instagram, dumpster.doggy. I love it. This is all good stuff. Is there anywhere else people should go to hang out with you? 
So those are going to be the best places. I'm on Twitter as well. Um, one other offering I do have, and and if it's not appropriate for me to say this, you can totally cut it, but I do offer a virtual course on investing. And so it's four parts. It's live. It's taught by me. And so you can take it from the comfort of your favorite ass groove on your couch. And we'll go through a lot of the topics we've covered today, but just slower, more in depth so that all of my all of, I was going to say kids, they're not kids, my students, <laughs> all of my precious babies um, walk away knowing exactly what next steps they should be taking in their investment lives. I love this. How do they get their hands on your course? So if you go to my blog, which is dumpsterdogblog.com, up in the right-hand corner, it says course and click there. The course is also called Invested Development. I also talk about the course a ton on my Instagram and plug it there. And so there's, if you find me on social media, you'll hear about it. Okay. And then for some context on the course, if somebody were to go through that, how long would they need to set aside? Like how quickly can somebody actually go through and implement? So, well, so right now it's actually live and taught by me. Someday it would be nice if it was videos. So I'm taken out of the equation. Just kidding. But, um, (laughs) but it's actually, I mean, it's kind of wonderful that it's live and taught by me, but I think that there's something about showing up live and giving a person your attention and your energy that really aids in learning. Um, but so right now it's four classes. So I believe on in January, when will this air? Will this air before the new year? Yep. Okay, great. So in, in January, I have a class. I think it's January Tuesdays. So it's four Tuesdays. And then February Wednesdays, it's four Wednesdays. Each class is an hour and a half. And then I stay until all questions are answered. You are such a rock star. I love the format and appreciate you doing the live stuff. I know that's sometimes a lot more difficult on you, but I think it was super impactful. And I'm stoked. I'll have to definitely check into your course too. I think it sounds like a ton of fun. Yay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on and and I look forward to seeing you all on social media. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for bringing the energy and the excitement and making this topic a lot more approachable. So thank you for your work. We're, we're seriously so grateful that you're doing it. Well, thank you for having me. All right. What'd you think? I love this episode. I thought it was so entertaining and so funny. Glenn with two ends, like, isn't that perfect? But all of this conversation, I think, is so critical because investing is the only way for you to grow your wealth. You cannot save your way to retirement. You have to invest your money and you have to invest in some ways. But I find the stock market to be one of the easiest ways for investing. So that is what I took away from this episode. I think it's a really impactful one. If you are thinking of someone like as you're listening to these episodes, I know somebody always comes to mind for you. Share this with them. Let them know that you're thinking of them. And of course, if you personally enjoyed this episode, the greatest thing that you can do to let me know is by sharing this on social media and tagging me in it so I can see who's listening in. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you. I love you. I hope you're having a great week and I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or Monday for Mondays with me. And of course, next week for a very normal episode of the Money Nerds podcast. Bye.